The School of Ministry and Leadership is the meeting from Potter's Family Chapel where we gather week after week to peer into the Word of God to understand whether or not it has anything to say to our leadership. And time after time, the Word proves that indeed it does. You see, in the beginning, God created man and woman, and He blessed them both and commanded them to have dominion over every created thing in the earth and to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. This is a call to leadership, for us to steward our God-given gifts and talents to cultivate the field he's called us to for his glory. We all have the seed of leadership in us, and God wants you to be equipped to lead because the world needs you right now. No matter who you are, it's my prayer that as you listen and as you begin to believe, you will see yourself growing as a leader. God bless you, and God bless your leadership. So let us go to John chapter 5. I will read from the verses 1 down to 16. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, in which Aramaic is now called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus commanded him, get up, get your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But the man replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Hallelujah. And let us pray. Our Father and our Lord, we thank you so much once again for the School of Ministry and Leadership Father, I lift up this school to your throne of grace and I ask you to show us your mercy once again. Father, we thank you so much for this word that in this season you are speaking to us to pick up our mats and to walk. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take your place at the head of this assembly. I pray, Lord, that even as you are stirring the waters, that the one for whom this message is will position themselves to enter into this blessing this evening. Lord, we bless each and every one of your children gathered here this evening. 
We ask you, Lord, that you would meet them at their point of need, not just with this word, Lord, but because you are a provider, that you would provide for them whatever it is they need, spiritually and materially, emotionally and physically, Lord. That at the end of the day, we would gather and we would give you all the praise and all the adoration, for we know the mighty works that you do in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. So good evening, everyone, and welcome again to the School of Ministry and Leadership. I am delighted to be able to share this word, which I said has already gone to work on me, and, uh, and I pray that it will do same for you. So let's start with the context of this story, which is such a familiar story to us. I think this is one of the stories that every Christian knows well. Um, you know, we don't all read our Bibles as we should, but at least everybody knows the story of the man by the pool at Bethesda. And so what can the story actually give to us that is new? And is there a leadership perspective that we can actually take on this very well-known story, this man who was uh, invalid, he was disabled for 38 years, and one day Jesus has an encounter with him, and this is the story. So in terms of the context of the story, it's interesting. We have the story in John's Gospel, but we don't have it in any of the other Gospels. And so it means that it's significant, and I wasn't entirely sure what its significance was. Most of the miracles that John records are special for a particular reason. Uh, when we look at the, 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 the wedding banquet in Cana, where Jesus turns the water into wine, for example, um, or when, where we have some of the other accounts that we don't see in the Synoptic Gospels. So it made me wonder, what was it about this healing at the Pool of Bethesda that, that was particular, that stood out for John, that he had to include it in his account of Jesus's miracles 30 years later when he was writing it? What can the relevance be? And we don't really see the relevance when we look at the English. So here is another case where our, our English Bibles, I'm reading from the um, NIV, translation tonight and I wish that I had uh, my KGV because I prepared it in the KGV um, and, and I prefer that version so you'll allow me to sort of dip back and forth between what I can, re can remember from the King James but even then the King James is not as satisfying to us as when we dip into the original languages when we look at the Greek because there are certain things that are explained there that just in English we miss. So the first thing to notice is, is that this pool that was uh, located in Jerusalem, so it was located in the part of Jerusalem in those days that was near to the temple, and it was near to, the, the Bible tells us, the Sheep Gate. So this would have been the entrance into the city where people brought their sacrifices. When Jerusalem was having her feast days and the city was filled with sheep because they were going to take them to the temple to sacrifice them, they would enter with their flocks through this particular gate called the Sheep Gate. But near that Sheep Gate, there was this pool or this bath. But what the scripture tells us is that this pool was actually surrounded by five porticos or five porches, five colonnades. Um, so areas that were covered. We know, of course, that five is the biblical number for grace. 
So already we understand that this pool was located under the covering of grace. That's the first point to notice. And when we ask ourselves, well, what is grace? We know that grace is God's unmerited favor. But it's important that the scripture actually tells us that in the Aramaic, the pool was called Bethesda. Now, the translation for Bethesda is actually mercy. So what we see is we see these people, these disabled people who were seated in the place of grace and mercy. And these people in the Greek now were called Astheneo. So the word that gets used in English for these, this, this group of disabled people, in the Greek, it, the word is Astheneo. And astheneo has a broader meaning than simply disabled. Astheneo refers to being weak, being infirm, being powerless, being feeble or double-minded, being faint-hearted. So it's to hesitate or to vacillate, meaning you go back and forth. It's people whose minds were easily disturbed. They were easily worried. They were anxious. And ultimately, they were not settled in faith. And so when we understand that, that this is who this group of people were, they weren't just physically disabled, but they were these people who were powerless, weak-minded or faint-hearted, or double-minded, you know, insecure. They couldn't make up their minds. They were weak in faith. This is this gathering of people who used to sit in this area the location of mercy under the covering of grace. And so this last point is probably the most important because as a leader, you might find yourself in situations where that's how you feel. You feel faint-hearted, you feel um, uh, double-minded, you feel weak or powerless or infirm. You know, as a leader, you don't always know what to do. You don't always have the information that you need. You don't always have the training or the equipping that you need. You don't have all the answers that you need. So as a leader, you actually might find yourself in this situation, feeling hesitant about the assignment, your faith not being settled about what you think it is that God can do through you. But just know that like this group of people, you are also seated in the place of grace and mercy. And when we look at the scripture, we see that this group, this Astheneo, they were made up of all kinds. So it wasn't just one type of disability that we found here. Now in the NIV, they are referred to as the, let me find the scripture, as the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Here's where I prefer the King James, because the King James refers to them as the blind, the lame, or the halt, and um those with the, with the palsy, but I guess, let's see, uh, a withered as the withered. So those are the three terms that I want us to refer to. In this group, sitting by the pool of Bethesda, you had the blind, you had the halt or the lame, and you had the withered. So we look at this from a leadership perspective. We have those leaders who were blind. They're the leaders who couldn't see. They're the leaders who lacked vision. You had the halt or the lame, and, and that means to have an injury, you know, when your body uh, has been maimed due to some kind of injury. So these are leaders who 
limped because of some kind of wound or injury that they had acquired uh, by a mistake that had cost them or by something that had happened to them, an error uh, in their leadership. And then you had the withered. And remember when we looked at our teaching on the man with the withered hand, we saw that to be withered means to be dried out, to be shriveled, to be shrunken, to be weather beaten. And so these are the leaders who have lost all hope, who are burnt out, they're weather beaten from the exposure to the elements of leading. So this is who this group, this group was. And you can imagine this group being at a leadership conference or coming to SML. I mean, this is them sitting in this moment. And they come because they are waiting for the moving of the waters. They're waiting for the stirring of the waters. The scripture tells us that they had come to understand that at a set time, the angel of the Lord would come down and would stir the waters. And what's important for us to know is, is that in the Greek, the word that gets used is the word kairos. So it's at, kairos means at an appointed time, at a seasonal time, at a time that can be set. Why is that important? It's important because what we understand then is, is that the angel of the Lord didn't come down willy-nilly. The angel of the Lord didn't come down randomly. The angel of the Lord came down at the set time, at a seasonal time, at an appointed time, which means that for the one who is watching the seasons, for the one who is discerning, you can time it or you can prepare it. And of course, sometimes the seasons are early or are late in coming, but normally we prepare for the seasons. And remember last year when we had our teaching on leadership seasons, and we understood that in leadership there are seasons. And if we just use the, the, the four, so if we just use the framework of the seasons of the Northern Hemisphere, where you have four seasons, very distinct, summer, spring, winter, and fall. For the one who is observant, you can set the time. You know when spring is coming. You know when winter is coming. For example, I'm sitting here in Geneva and I've been expecting summer because, well, we didn't quite have a spring. But, but here's the thing is, is that we had winter and as winter was drawing to its close, of course, we had a very mild winter. So it's not a, it, it wasn't a usual winter, but it's still a winter that one could observe, that one could recognize. But there came a time where I was expecting winter to end because I understood that at the set time, winter will give way to spring and spring will eventually give way to summer. And even though we, we had a, a mild but long winter, I was still preparing for the spring and summer when it would come. I was getting ready to put away my boots and put away the heavy coats and put away the heavy bedding. And it was taking a while, but I was still waiting for it. It's the Kairos time of winter to end and summer to, to come. And so it is with this angel of the Lord that at a set time, at the Kairos time, he would come down and stir the waters. That's important for us to know because it means that for this group of leaders who were sitting by this pool, that the observant leader could actually be prepared for the time when the angel came. 
he might not get it exactly right. The angel, he might have been waiting for the angel on a Tuesday. It might be a Thursday when the angel finally shows up, but there would have been some kind of expectation. There would have been some kind of preparation. And indeed, when we look at the Greek, the word that gets used there when they say that they waited, this group waited by the pool for the stirring of the waters at the Kairos time, the word that gets used there for waited the it denotes waiting in full expectancy waiting eagerly or waiting steadfastly for the seasonal occurrence when the angel would come down and stir the waters and so that's why when we read that whoever was first into the waters we understand that that was the leader who was watching and was prepared for the seasonal change, who was anticipating the seasonal change and was thence positioning himself for the season to change so that when the waters began, began to, to, to stir, that he would be the first into the waters. And the scripture tells us that healing was available to whomsoever would be first into the water. So this group of blind, lame, and withered leaders, any one of them, the blind who could not see or who lacked vision, healing would be made available to him if he could make his way to the edge of the pool. The halt or the lame leader, the one who was injured or who had some kind of body part missing, if he was prepared and was watching and was waiting eagerly for the shifting of the season, he could position himself to be at the water's edge. Or even the withered leader, the hopeless one, the burnt out one, the one who was weather beaten from her time in leadership, she could also make her way and position herself to be first into the stirred water. So the healing was not for any particular type of disability. The, the healing was for the one who would make his way and be positioned to receive it first. And so then this prompts a question, which is, well, what's holding you back? Whether you are lacking vision, whether you are wounded from some previous episode, or whether you are simply shrunken and shriveled and burnt out, what is holding you back from positioning yourself to receive as the season changes. And as we read on, we see that when Jesus walks by, the, the scripture tells us that it was one of the Jewish festivals. And so some scholars think that it was one of the Passover festivals where Jesus had come down from Galilee and was in Jerusalem and happened to be walking by the sheep gates, maybe on his way to the temple. But he stops and he, he takes in this crowd of disabled leaders who are sitting by this pool. And he looks at this one man who's, who's been in his condition for 38 years. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us whether he has been at the pool for all of those 38 years, whether he was uh, an invalid from birth or whether he became an invalid through, through the passage of his life. But what we know is that whatever condition he had, and it doesn't tell us the condition, but whatever disability this man had, he had been in that state for a very long time. And so when Jesus shows up on this day, the scripture says that Jesus sees the man 
lying there. In other words, the man was found lying down. Jesus found this man lying down. Why is that significant? It's significant firstly because it means that he simply was not in position for the season. So this man had been weakened for 38 years, but he's in the position of a dead man. He's in the posture of a dead man. You know, whenever you, if you read the newspaper and you, you read the headlines, whenever they make a report of a, a death or some kind of accident or violence that's taken place, they'll normally write it like the person was found lying down. So it's the posture of a dead man. And when Jesus sees this man lying down in the location of mercy and grace, Jesus just asks him a simple question. He says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? Do you want to be made whole? And for Jesus to ask this man, do you want to be made whole? It's such a strange question. And it's such a strange question for this particular reason. Because elsewhere in the scripture, we see not Jesus asking someone if they will be made whole, but we see the, the sick, we see the, 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 those who need healing. We see them seeking Jesus out and asking him if he would make them whole. If we turn to Matthew chapter eight, verse two, we see that this is where Jesus comes down from the mountainside and there's a crowd. This is the story of a leper approaching Jesus in the crowd. So when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The King James says, Lord, if thou, if thou willest, thou, wilt, wilt thou make me clean? And Jesus' response, he reaches out his hand and he says, I will be thou clean. Or in the NIV, Jesus reaches out his hand, touches the man. I am willing, Jesus said, be clean. Immediately, the man was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So strange that Jesus tells the man not to tell anyone when they're in the middle of a crowd. But the point is, is that this leper who shouldn't have been in the crowd anyway, because the social laws of the day would have made it so that he's actually, he, he cannot be in the vicinity of people. This man, in an act of worship, comes and kneels before Jesus and asks Jesus, will you make me whole? Will you make me clean? Will you heal me? Are you willing? And Jesus says, I am willing. Be thou clean. And so we see that Jesus, in response to worship, is willing to make us whole. When we turn to just the next chapter, Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, we see something similar. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, 
to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Hallelujah. So what do we see here? We see again a situation where Jesus responds to the faith of people and he heals this man, this paralytic who was on his mat. So it's strange for Jesus to ask the man at the pool of Bethesda if he wants to be healed because we have these other examples where people are seeking Jesus out in a crowd for their healing and asking him through worship, through faith, if he would be willing to heal them, and he always is. And then when we turn back to our text, as Jesus has asked this man, do you want to be well? We know the man's answer. He says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead before me. And so we know that his response is not the right answer, that instead of saying, yes, Lord, I want to be healed. I've been in this situation long enough. I'm ready for my healing. He makes a series of excuses. He says, well, you know, I don't have anyone to help me. And by the time I get to the poolside, the others have got, someone else has gotten in. And this is what we have to stop and ask ourselves. This man has been at the pool for some time. We don't know whether it's been the 38 years of his condition or not, but we know that he's been there for a long time. Has he not discerned the signs and the times? This man by the pool of Bethesda is not like the sons of Issachar who understand the times and know what Israel ought to do. So the man has been in his condition. Remember, Jesus finds him lying down. So he's not inching. He's not positioning himself. He's lying down. This man has not discerned the signs and the times of when the season changes and the angel is expected to stir the waters. The second question that we should ask ourselves as leaders is, does anyone else have a man? We've heard the description of this group of disabled. We've got the blind, we've got the halt or the lame, and we have the withered. Do any of them have a man? The blind leader, the one who lacks vision, and he can't see the angel of the Lord with his physical eyes, but he's using his other senses to figure out that there's something happening in the water, and that leader is able to make his way to the front. You have the halt or the lame leader, the one who's been injured from prior leadership battles. He's limping, albeit slowly, probably painfully, but he's making his way to the edge of the poolside. And you've got the withered leader, the one who's burnt out, who's dried up from disappointment, from shame, from loss of hope. That leader is able to stir up her Hope one more time, if only just to get closer to the pool, to the edge of the waters. So do any of these leaders have a man? As this particular man is making excuses that he doesn't have anyone 
to help him. And what this man shows us is that, in fact, he is actually suffering from all three disabilities. The scripture doesn't tell us what his problem is, but we can unpack this text a little bit to see that he lacked vision. So he demonstrated some kind of blindness. He was unmoving. He was lame in his approach to understanding how he was going to get his healing. He wasn't trying to even limp forward to position himself for the changing season. And he was withered as Jesus finds him reclining, lying down in grace and mercy. He doesn't seem like a man with any urgency. He doesn't seem like a man with any kind of strong faith, any kind of strong hope to actually have the position or have the energy to move himself towards healing. And as leaders, we, many of us, are sometimes loath to give up our disabilities. It's interesting when we actually use the word disability because that's not a word that we normally associate with ourselves. We, we, we mainly think about being disabled in the physical sense. And so we know that as long as I'm not a cripple, then I'm not disabled. But when we look at it in a, in a spiritual sense, when we think about our weaknesses, when we think about our sins, we know that, that there are things that disable us from fulfilling the assignment that God has given us. And we are loath to give up our disabilities because we've had them for such a long time. We're used to them. They are familiar to us. Sometimes they are a comfort to us. Sometimes, even if we don't admit it, we are afraid of what we might be without them. And so we begin to lie on them like a mat. And this is what has happened to this man by the poolside in Bethesda. That he has a particular identity, that he has a particular community, that he has a particular idea of who he is, that he has a particular sense of what his purpose is. And he's had those ideas and that way of being for such a long time that it's become comfortable to him. He's lying on it. You know, I'm sure it was pretty sunny there by the pool. And so he doesn't think about anything beyond what happens if he actually tries to inch closer to the edge of the pool. And he makes excuses that, well, that leader was able to go and sure, he was blind, but you know, he had help or he had a very keen hearing that allowed him to, to make it, that his disability is not as strong as my disability. So he makes all kinds of excuses. But then we see Jesus commanding. Jesus at that point doesn't make any more conversation. He simply commands, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And so we can imagine that here that Jesus is not only speaking to the man, but he's speaking to the spirit behind, the familiar spirit behind that man. And he says, pack out, get up, walk. Enough is enough. Pick up that mat like a cross and learn to carry it daily. So this man gets up and because it's the Sabbath and because they're near the temple, the authorities see him carrying his mat. And we know, of course, that when we take an account of the many times that Jesus healed, we notice that, in fact, Jesus did a lot of his healing on the Sabbath, oftentimes just as a rebuke to the authorities of the day. 
as a giving of evidence and going public of what God does. So this carrying of his mat, this man is basically having to give a public testimony of what Jesus has done for him. And sometimes as a leader, you have to know that obeying Jesus will bring censure upon you. It will bring the rebuke of the authorities upon you. Why are you breaking the status quo? Why are you breaking the way that things are? And when the authorities speak to this man and they say, why are you breaking the law? Why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath? We can see that this man is just as clueless in his responses to the authorities as he was with Jesus. He says that, well, you know, the guy who, who healed me told me to pick up the mat and walk. And so that, 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 that's why I'm doing it. So we can see that this man really embodies this idea of astheneo, weakness, powerlessness, faint-heartedness, feeble-mindedness, uh, not settled in his faith. And then when the authorities ask him, well, who was this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man has no idea who he was. And the scripture tells us that the reason why he didn't know is because Jesus has slipped away into the crowd. But we have to, again, see that this man who was healed actually didn't care to know who Jesus was. And this is what's amazing about this man who has been in his state for such a long time. Okay, he didn't know who Jesus was. And even though at this point, Jesus's fame has been noised abroad. And, and I mean, in those days, who didn't know who Jesus was? But maybe, maybe sitting by the pool in Bethesda, the news of Jesus hadn't reached there. Or maybe this man did not care to know. And this man, in spite of the fact that he does not know Jesus, is not so different from many people, because there are many people who will have an encounter with Jesus just by grace and mercy and not know who he is. But the point is, is that after receiving such a powerful miracle, wouldn't this man turn around to say thank you or turn around from the crowd who was gathered there to find out who was that? What just happened? What just happened? But the man does not do that. Instead, what he does is he goes to the temple, which represents the traditional place of worship or the old place of worship. And he goes to the temple seeking the old ways in a season when Jesus is doing a new thing. And so again, the question for us as leaders is that, are you looking to see the new thing that Jesus is doing in this season? Or are you still looking back to the old ways of doing and being? And we can see that you can be healed by Jesus and it not do you much good. Because what you really see, received is just the, the grace and the mercy which abounds in that place. And if we turn to Luke chapter 17, verse 11, in fact, we begin to understand what the real healing of Jesus is. And again, we see this in, 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 in an episode where Jesus heals lepers. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. 
they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then Jesus said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Amen. So we see that the healing is not the outward healing. We can be outwardly cleansed. We can look fine. But the being made whole is inward. And this inward wholeness only comes by returning to God and giving thanksgiving and giving praise. But this man at the pool of Bethesda, this man who lacked vision, this man who was faithless and hopeless, this man who was probably wounded deeply from some prior event in his life. This man doesn't know where his healing has come from. And he goes to the temple, he goes to the old traditional place to worship. So later when Jesus finds him at the temple, actually before that, one more Greek word for us. In the Greek it says that the man in the English, it says that the man did not know who it was who healed him. In the Greek, it says that the man, Edo, not. So that word Edo means that, um, it, means, it means to behold. It means to see. It means to examine or to contemplate or to understand. So when we read in English that the man did not know who it was who healed him, what we are to understand is that the man did not behold who it was. He didn't spend a long time thinking about it. He didn't contemplate or consider. He didn't reflect on it. So this is more than just a physical seeing Jesus and knowing who it was and, and whether or not he knew the name or knew the reputation. This is about, did this man stop to really consider? Did he turn it over in his soul? What had happened to him? the 38 years of his life leading up to this point, the way that he had been leading or not leading up to this point where he has this encounter with Jesus. So the man's lack of knowing who the man was who healed him is not because Jesus vanishes in the crowd, but it's because the man didn't care to know. He took it for granted and he didn't really contemplate it or seek deeper understanding. In other words, he made it cheap. And so what will make us better leaders, what will make you a better leader, what will make me a better leader, is when we behold Jesus, that word behold, when we actually look upon the person of Jesus, when we contemplate who he is, when we meditate on who he is. And this is why Corinthians tells us that we, when we, we behold Jesus as looking through this glass darkly, and we are being changed. The Holy Spirit is changing us into his image and his likeness from glory to glory. That means that in your leadership, as you 
Spend time thinking about Jesus, thinking about the mindset that he had, this fivefold mindset of grace, of obedience and sacrifice, of service and of humility and of dying to self. If you spend time thinking about that as a leader, you are going to become a leader like him, moving from glory to glory as the Holy Spirit is working on you, is transforming you. But this man did not. This man, if he had really thought about what had just taken place, he would have sought to Jesus. Even if Jesus had vanished into the crowd, he would have gone after him. He would have followed. He would have asked those around. And in going after Jesus and in following Jesus, that's where we know, of course, when Jesus says, follow me and I will make you, that this man would have been made, he would have become if he had gone after him. So all of this helps us now to understand what this man's sin was. Because it's quite startling that when Jesus meets him in the temple later, Jesus simply says to him, See, you are healed. Stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. I mean, if the man wasn't afraid before, he should have, he should have been afraid at that moment. But the sin is not mentioned. And so various scholars have had various ideas of what could this man's sin have been. And I want to suggest to you this evening that this man who was of the Astheneo, this group of powerless, feeble-minded, faint-hearted, double-minded, not strong in faith people who were eagerly waiting the stirring of the waters, this particular man was lying down, meaning that he wasn't waiting at all, meaning that he had given up. What was this man's sin? This man's sin, one of them was faithlessness. One of them was that he wasn't seeking God, he wasn't pursuing God. In all of those 38 years in his state, I mean, we have to ask, did he pray at all? Did he cry out to God at all? But his major, major sin in this context and in the context of leadership as we're looking at it this evening was slothfulness. And what's amazing is when we go to the wisdom writings, when we turn to the book of Proverbs, we have proverb upon proverb, warning upon warning against slothfulness, against being sluggardly, against laziness. Not only physical laziness, but spiritual laziness. Ecclesiastes 10.18 says, By much slothfulness the building decays, and through idleness of the hands the house leaks. So that's a message on not working to build the house. If we as godly leaders or kingdom leaders are really building the house of God, this living temple that's coming together stone by stone, well, if we are slothful in that work, that building decays and that house begins to leak. It's not leaking water, but it's leaking grace. It's leaking anointing. Time is going by as the house is not being fortified because of sloth. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, or that dealeth slothfully. But the hand of the diligent maketh rich. So we're still in our year of prosperity and we're to see that prosperity comes not through slothfulness, not through spiritual laziness, but through diligency. 
Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. So another statement on prosperity, how to become prosperous through diligency and not through slothfulness or laziness. Proverbs 15, 19. The way of the slothful man is as a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is a highway. So the slothful way is a painful way. It's a way that's hedged in. It's a way that's constrained. And one of the earlier questions that I asked you was what, what, what is holding you back? Slothfulness holds you back because it, it hedges you in through thistles and, and thorns. But righteousness or just justness, as one of the other virgins says, is a smooth way. It's a highway. Proverbs 18, 9. He also who is slothful is brother to him who destroys. So not only is spiritual laziness bad in and of itself, but you're related to destruction. It's opposite of building, as we saw in Ecclesiastes 10.18. Proverbs 19.15, slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. So when you're slothful, it makes you sleepy. It lulls you to sleep. And we have all of those scriptures that speak about arising, awakening. But the idle soul is the one that suffers hung hunger, excuse me. And we have those other scriptures that Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, when he says that the them who hunger after righteousness, hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. But there's no such promise for the slothful who hungers. Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the slothful kills him for his hands refuse to labor. And we know that labor is not just about working. I mean, labor is about pushing. Labor takes time. Labor is about straining. And so even though the, the lazy and the sluggardly have desires, they have longings, those longings will kill them because the hands don't match. The hands refuse work. The hands refuse to strive. The hands refuse to strain. And then, of course, we have Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 to 11. And we read this one uh, in its length. And again, I like this one. We know this uh, verse so well. But I like it because I started by telling you that we're now enjoying summer finally in Geneva. And it's beautiful. But this is the reason why I know that the Lord sent this word. Because this, is, this word has come to me. And I share it with you for us to work in this season. The scripture says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its way and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. So this is the season for us to work, not to be like the sloth, but to learn from the ants, the ant who gets her meat in the summer while the days are long, while the temperature is fine, so that she can store that same food for the winter time. When that leadership season shifts and things slow down, you will have, 
you will have something in store based on the work that you did now. And this is the reason why this word has come to us. But inasmuch as the Proverbs warn against slothfulness and spiritual laziness and sluggardliness, it's not only an Old Testament warning. We have, it, we have a reward in the New Testament when we turn to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. The writer says to us, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to, to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patient inheritance, who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Hallelujah. So what an encouragement that, yes, this is the season where we have to work, where we shouldn't be like that man at the pool of Bethesda. We should work so that we can hope and continue in diligence unto this reward that has been promised. So as I close, as a leader, what must you do? In order to not be like that man at the pool of Bethesda, we see that this man was seated in the location of grace and mercy. This man had an encounter with Jesus and he didn't even know who he was. That this man was surrounded by people who were like him, the Astheneo, who all of them had some kind of disability. Some were blind, some were lame, some were withered. And this speaks to us as leaders. What do we do? What must we do so that we don't end up like that man, committing the great sin that Jesus warned him to stop or that something worse would befall him? Three points. Number one, first, diagnose your disability. So as a leader, are you blind? Do you lack vision? Are you halt or limp? Are you, are you halt or lame? You're limping from past errors, past wounds, or past consequences, from mistakes that you've made as a leader, but that you can overcome. Or are you withered? As a leader, you've lost hope, you've lost faith, you're dried out, you're shrunken, shriveled. It's important for you to know the diagnosis so that you can treat it effectively. And how do you treat it effectively? The second point, once you've diagnosed, then you know how to target your prayers. You know how to target your prayer for healing. Healing you from what it is that is holding you back from the water's edge. When you pray, do you need to pray for vision? When you pray, do you need to pray to overcome whatever hurt you in the past? Or when you pray, do you need pray to be renewed and refreshed in hope and in faith? If you are able to grasp the fact that you are seated in mercy under grace and that there is healing available to any one of these disabilities, is it possible that you are in this location and you do not know it? You know, when, when Jacob said that God was in this place and I knew it not, are you sitting in grace and mercy that is available to heal your leadership, but you're not aware of it? 
Third point. Oh, I told you there were three. I'm going to give you four. Third point. Discern the seasons and position yourself for it. So observe. Figure out the patterns. The time is a Kairos time, which means it's a set time, which means that if you study, if you become like the sons of Issachar, you know the signs and times, you will know what to do. You will know what to do. You will know when you need to begin inching your way closer to the edge of the water and position yourself. If you are blind, you will learn how to discern and rely on your other senses to get you close to the healing. If you are lame, you will be able to limp slowly, painfully, but you'll be able to position yourself to receive. If you are withered, if you're lacking hope and faith, you are able, you will be able through prayer to and waiting to have that strength renewed. Remember last week we said, them who wait upon the Lord shall be renewed. But you have to position yourself. Once you've studied the times, once you've noted the patterns, once you've discerned, once you be can begin to sense the shifting of the season. Don't be lying down. Don't be like that man when Jesus found him. Lying down in the midst of all this grace and mercy. Be up and doing. Make your way for the season to change so that you're positioned when it does. Because God has made this healing available to you. He's made this for your leadership available to you. But the point, and this is the point that we must understand, is that this is available to you, but you have to act alone. There is no man. The man at the pool of Bethesda waited for so many years because he was waiting for a man. And the point is, is that there's no man coming. You have to position yourself. You have to rely on God's grace. You have to rely on the mercy that's available. You have to diagnose so that you can target your prayer, but understand that there is no man coming. And then fourth and final point, examine your life. Have you had an encounter with Jesus and not known it, but specifically about your leadership? Has Jesus touched you in your leadership, in your assignment, and you've not known it? Have you realized that God has been with you in this leadership assignment all along? So don't be like that man who was at the pool of Bethesda all those years in that condition. Be like Abram, as we saw last week, that Abram moved into the promise. Abram had to come out of what he was into something new. And even though he didn't know what it was at the beginning, even as he was sojourning and walking up and down in this land. Abram walked and he wandered. Abram walked and he worshiped until his assignment was complete. Hallelujah. So I pray for all of us that this evening we will begin to position ourselves for the stirring of the waters. I believe that this is a season where God has made so much available to us. And I pray that if you've received this word in your spirit, that this word will lift you off of the mat that you've been sitting on, whatever your disability is, however long you have been there, but that it will move you to the water's edge. And that when those waters begin to stir, you will be the first one in gratefully, 
thanking Jesus and praising him for what he's done in your leadership because he heals you not just for your sake but because there are many in his kingdom who are relying on you there are many outside of his kingdom who are waiting for you so that they may enter and I know that as the seasons are shifting that the Lord will make us wise like the ant to be able to work in this season for his glory so that we would have something stored up for the next season. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.